Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Praise the Lord. I was in a, a little church, a little stone Anglican church. Um, a group of us, a group of friends, about, I don't know, eight of us had gone up to the mountains for a weekend away. And on the Sunday, we decided to go and find a church. And there was a little church nearby. But for some reason, it wasn't open that day. They, they didn't have a service. Anyway, we tried the door and it was open. So we went in and we just sat on the pews. Uh, nothing else was happening. No one else was there. And we just kind of focused on the Lord. We didn't have any plan. We weren't going to have a sermon or a worship. We just wanted to just be in church on the Sunday and worship. And suddenly the presence of the Lord came with what I call this. In fact, I don't call it that. The Bible calls it a spirit of grace and supplication. Zechariah 12 talks about that the nation of Israel are going to get it. Zechariah 12 verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And I can't really do justice to explain to you what happened, but our hearts were broken. Every one of us, none of us was worried about what the person next to them was undergoing. God was, was just breaking our hearts. It was the most incredible experience. We were on the floor weeping, no music, no preach, nothing. Just God was there. And our hearts were just soft and open before. But as I say, as I said before, it was a breaking that was a good breaking. You know the kind of breaking where you know, this feels right. Now suddenly I'm back in fellowship with God. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I've opened my heart to the Lord. There's nothing more hidden. There's, nothing, there's no more secrets. And I'm mourning, but it's a mourning that brings a healing. And there was a person there, a lady who um, really struggled it, just because of her upbringing. It wasn't her fault, just because of her upbringing her, in her family. They had never, ever said sorry in their family. You know, when some families, just it's easy to repent and say sorry. But in other families, it's just they never... In fact, I spoke to this lady's dad later, and he said, we never, ever have said sorry in our family. It's just something they just don't do. And the, the Spirit of the Lord just broke through, and she turned to her husband, and she just said, I'm sorry. It was like, what, what was it? It was the spirit of grace and supplication. And I've been in meetings where evangelists have tried to make people repent. And sometimes they succeed. Prophets. I was in a meeting once where a prophet preached. It was quite funny. Because he was a prophet, he wasn't a good teacher. And so he taught the most boring sermon for half an hour. We sat there like, huh. And then at the end, I didn't know... But he just started calling out people's sins and talking about what God was doing in their lives and reading their intimate secrets. You know, he would call out somebody and say, when you were six, this happened and this happened and this happened. And I promise you, the spirit of grace and supplication hit that place. And people were on the floor weeping. God is here and he knows my address and he could say anything at any time. And I'm getting my life right with the Lord right now. It was incredible. Anyway, as I was saying, I've been in meetings where prophets, evangelists, pastors try to bring this about just by hugging people. You know, come, let's, let's hug, let's hug, let's get the spirit of repentance or, or um, apostles, whatever. Everyone does. Today, I'm going I'm to try and do it, but I'm very aware that I can't do it. I'm going to try and do it by teaching, but I can't do it. It's God's spirit, isn't it? Yeah. The spirit of grace and supplication comes from the Lord. 
And I'm just going to teach about what happened to King David. We've been doing a series on being wholehearted, and today I want to talk about being brokenhearted to become wholehearted. Because David was wholehearted. When we say wholehearted, we mean fully engaged, wholehearted enthusiasm, but we also mean heart made whole and healed. And David was all of those, but a time came, uh, 25 years after he had been anointed by the Lord. You know, in his early days, he was alone in the fields. There were wild animals attacking the sheep. He was rejected. And you read some of the Psalms from the early days of David's life. And they, they're touching. They're poignant. Let me read one of the earliest we've got is Psalm 63. Just the, the order of the Psalms in the Bible is not chronological order. So you have to do some research to find which one was first. And Psalm 63 was one of his, one of his first says, O oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. That was David in the early days. And, um, you know, he was just, he says, my soul follows hard after you. He was broken. And he was, it was open before the Lord. And that brokenness brought wholeness. Isn't it a paradox? The brokenness brings, you know, the world says, get yourself organized, get your stuff together, get your life. Don't show weakness. Don't show a jink in your armor. Get everything polished. Be well prepared. Get all the ducks in a row and then you'll be whole. And God says brokenness is actually wholeness. And there's four, what the Lord has shown me since that time we had in that, in that cottage on that weekend, what the Lord has shown me over these years is he's shown me how brokenness happens and how wholeness happens how repentance happens and I'm so grateful to him for it but he's shown me that there's four parts to a heart that is not broken and repentant and and wholehearted there's four parts to it there's uh, a hard-heartedness which means I, I've become insensitive and deadened and dulled and there's a callous there's a thickness to my heart where I, I feel the Lord saying something and I choose not to, I deaden, I, I deaden that sense. You know, if you close one eye, if you put a patch over one of your eyes, after a few days, that eye no longer works properly. It's become hardened. It's become deadened, dulled. Your heart is the same towards God. If you ignore or you go against or, or what, for whatever reason you, you choose not to listen to the Spirit, your heart becomes hard and it, it's no longer sensitive to the things of God. So that's the first there's a divided heart and a divided heart doesn't mean what most people think it means it means you've got too many good things vying for your attention <laughs> you you know jesus said where your treasure is your heart will be a divided heart means you've got two treasures three treasures four treasures a man who's got four lovely girlfriends that he's trying to choose from he has to choose one and he has to reject three if he's going to be married and happy. David didn't learn this lesson. <laughs> David had at least eight wives and several concubines. And that was the problem, actually, in the story we're going to read today. His heart became divided. You know, what happened was David was broken. He had nothing and he cried out to God. His heart was broken and God filled his life with so many good things. But those good things divided his heart. He didn't learn the lesson that actually I've got to choose. I've got to narrow in God choosing some things and rejecting other things brings more openness, more blessing, more life. He thought I could just take all of God's and all these other things 
and his heart became divided. And sometimes that's the problem. And then there's a, there's a broken heart, a fractured heart. Um, you know, where parts of our heart don't work properly, we're, we're not whole, we're not the same all the way through. There's a brokenness in it. And, and when people talk to me or look at me or I, or I communicate with people, I show them some parts of my heart, but there's other parts that are hidden and there's a brokenness in it. And actually the good news today is that God loves broken hearts because broken hearts can be made whole in Him. Yes. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about there's a sorrow that is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and leaves no regrets, but there's a worldly sorrow that leads to death. The broken heart is not the problem, it's what you do with it. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yes. And if you're broken hearted today, I've just got such good news for you. You are a perfect candidate. When David repented after his sin in Psalm 51, he said, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. God loves a broken heart because if you give it to him, he says, now I can fix you. That is the spirit of grace and supplication. There's a heart broken to God. But many of us have a heart broken from the world or from our own sins and mistakes, and we've taken it to the wrong place to get it fixed. And as a result, our lives are fractured. And the fourth problem with our hearts is a twisted heart. A twisted heart. There's a word in the Old Testament called iniquity. And it comes from a word that means bent or twisted. And it's talking about a, a, a heart that is twisted from birth. Where because of our sins of our fathers and the sins of our background and even our own sins, our heart gets a twist that it's no, it's no longer straight. It's no longer right. It's no longer as God wanted it. It goes the wrong way. And I try my hardest, but my heart takes me the wrong way. And again, David repented of that. So the message today is that God can heal a heart if we break our heart before him. And he can fix us as we narrow, as we choose not to have a divided heart. As we reject some good things to choose the best thing, which is God. You see, that's the lesson that many, many Christians haven't understood is you have to choose the best and sometimes that means rejecting another thing that is good but God says you keep choosing the best you get narrower and narrower and narrower in your focus until there's one thing and it's God and it's a trust in him a trust in who he is once that comes then a whole lot of other things just come into line and I find I've got wholeness but it goes counterintuitive it's not what the world says the world says take lots of good things and God says no no choose narrow 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 and that's part of the process of getting to a repentant heart. And we're going to look at that today. And then when repentance comes, because repentance is the way that we get back from having a fractured heart, a, a divided heart, a um, hard heart, a twisted heart. Repentance is the wonderful gift that God has given that gets us back to where we should be. And we can do it today. That's the spirit of grace and supplication. But um, the problem is, again, we've misunderstood repentance. We think my behavior is wrong, so I must just fix my behavior and then everything will be right. But my behavior is wrong as a symptom that my heart is not right. And we try and fix our behavior. I've done it. Have you done it? I'm going to stop this thing. I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to be more better and disciplined and try harder and... I'm going to do the right thing. And God says it's a heart issue. If you'll get your heart right. Just before I get into the story of David. 
God gives Adam and Eve everything they need. He loves them. They're in fellowship with him, relationship. He's blessed them. He loves them with everything he's got. He gives them every tree in the garden. So much wonderful things that they could choose from. But he says, you must reject this tree. And it's the knowledge of good and evil. It's, a, it's choosing two things. <laughs> he says, if you'll just take what I've given you, but you must reject this other thing. And the devil comes and he says, and the, the problem was not the action that they did. It was the fact that their heart stopped trusting and being bound to God alone. They wanted to listen to somebody else. They wanted to try something else. They said, I don't trust. The devil says, in, in essence, what the devil was saying is, God doesn't really want what's best for you. He says that this is bad for you, but mm, actually it's good for you. You'll, you'll have more knowledge. You'll have more. And Christian, the, ch the choice in front of us, and that was in front of David, is the devil will give you more choices. You remember the, the parable of the sower? The seed grows up and the plant grows up. The seed that is not fruitful is the one that has other things growing with it, weeds growing with it, and so it produces no fruit because there's a choice needed where I have to say, there's this and I'm rejecting this and this and this. So you ready to hear about David? Right. David was close to the Lord, uh, loved the Lord, God had blessed him. And now suddenly we find him in this place in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, where it says in the spring, at the time when kings go out to war, David stayed behind. And he's in his palace. And verse 2 says that he got up in the night and he walked around his palace. Now that sounds like just a simple story, but there's so much meaning in that. What it's saying is that David is no longer living in a cave, being hunted by Saul, under pressure and oppression and worry, and having to rely on God. Suddenly he's been blessed. He's got everything he wants. He's the king of the kingdom. He's got a palace. He's got multiple wives. He's got wealth. He's got, he can afford to send his soldiers out and he doesn't have to go. And as a result, what's happened to his heart is it's become divided. And it's become hardened. And it's become deceitful. And I'm going to show you how that, how that happened in a bit. So, so the kings go out to war and David stays behind. You know, one of the symptoms of this is when you're no longer wholehearted. When you're no longer fully engaged. You remember the days you used to worship and there were tears running down your cheek. You used to give lots in the offering. You used to obey God immediately and now you don't. And you say, oh, I must just get back to the, I wish I could get back to those good old days. The problem is, you just like David, your heart has become divided and half-hearted. You're no longer fully wholehearted for God. And the problem is not the actions. The problem is the very core the trust of God, the, that relationship with God. You've got to reject certain things and come back to God. So, David gets up, he looks around, and he sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba. I don't believe Bathsheba was innocent. I think she knew the king could see her, but that's just my opinion. Um, but he sees her, and he says, wow. Now, because he had already chosen several other things and god's grace had not judged him he'd chosen lots of wives was lots of wives god's plan no jesus said it was never god's plan for you to have lots of wives but god was gracious to david he was kind he he gave him grace and grace and grace 
And many of us in our Christian lives, we've received so much grace that we start to get hard-hearted and proud. And we think, wow, the normal rules don't apply to me. I've tried this and this and I've, I've divided my heart. You know, it starts a little bit at first. There's a YouTube clip where it shows a man with 13 dominoes in a row. The first domino is half a centimeter high and a millimeter thick. It's tiny. It's, half, it's five millimeters high. It's minute. The 13th domino is over a meter tall and it weighs over 100 pounds. And in between, there's just slightly bigger dominoes. And he just flips over that tiny domino. You could look it up. And it goes, tick, 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 and all 13. And the big one knocks down. And he says, if I had 29 dominoes, I could knock down a domino the size of the Empire State Building. You know, the tiniest division in our hearts, that's what happens. The devil comes and he says, you trust God, but just, what about this other thing? Ah, oh, that, ah, just, look, divide a little bit. Can God really fulfill all you? Does God really want what's, does God really love you? You, you need this other thing to make you fulfilled to bear. Oh, look, all the other Christians are doing it. And we divide just the slightest bit from our trust of God. You see, religion says it's your action that's wrong. Be behavior must be changed. God says it's a heart issue. Is your heart one? With, do you trust me fully? Do you love me fully? And it starts with the tiniest thing. And with David, it had got to the stage where he could see a woman... And he thinks nothing because he's divided his heart to the extent and his heart has become hard to the extent where he takes her. He tells other people. He says, who's she? And he starts asking people about it and he sends someone to get her. He's so hardened and brazen that he doesn't mind other people knowing what he's doing. And he knows the penalty in the law for adultery is death. But he thinks that doesn't apply to me. How did it start? A tiny little chink. And he, and he brings her and she comes willingly. And they sleep together and she becomes pregnant. And it sounds crazy, but that's what happens when a, a heart becomes hard. He goes to the extent that he gets her husband killed so that it, he can take her as his wife. And the other weird thing about this is that it takes a year before he repents. A year after this, Nathan the prophet comes to him. So Nathan comes in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The prophet comes and he tells him a story. Now again, this is, there's different ways of getting God's repentance into our heart. The spirit of grace and the spirit of God I'm breaking before you. And the way that God chose this time was he tricked David into seeing from God's perspective. What he did was he told David a story about a man. Uh, so he says there was this man, he had, oh, you know, so many cars. Uh, he actually said lambs, but I'm just going to put it in modern language. He had, you know, all these cars and he had antique cars and he had extra cars and he had big cars and little cars. He had like 50 cars in his driveway and then he needed to, um, you know, go and go somewhere through a place that was a bit rough and he thought the car might get damaged. So he went to the next door neighbor who only had one car. It was their only way of getting to work and to town and everything. And he took the car. So the family was left with nothing. And the rich man took their car and he crashed it and he burnt it and he gave them nothing. And David said, what? He should be killed. 
and he should repay fourfold because that's what the law of Moses said. If you steal an ox, you repay fivefold. If you steal a sheep, you repay fourfold. He said, the law says. And what Nathan was doing, what God was doing, was he was allowing, because David's heart had become so hard and fractured and at weird angles, the normal truth couldn't get through anymore. God had to get in through the back door by saying, look, this is what's really happening. You can't see it anymore. Your, your mind has become so twisted and dulled from all these choices you've made and from hardening your conscience so much, you can't see the truth anymore. And so God showed him his situation by making him think he was hearing a story of someone else. And he said, this man must die. He must repay fourfold. And Nathan simply says, you are the man. And suddenly, suddenly the spirit of grace and supplication came in. I don't know exactly what happened. We've got Psalm 51 which is written as a record of David repenting. And it, it's a beautiful psalm. I'll read it to you in a moment. But what I believe happened is that David was taken back to those early days and he saw how far his heart had moved. How many paths and forks in the road and divisions of heart were he chosen to divide his loyalty between God and something else. And eventually he got to a place where he said, look how far I've come. Now David was different to Saul. Saul also sinned, but Saul repented just out of duty. He was, Saul had a worldly sorrow where he said, I'm sorry I've been caught. What can I do to fix this? Let's just do the administrative thing to make it right. But David said, no, no, I see it's a heart issue. And so Saul was rejected. David had a line, a lineage of kings leading all the way to Jesus. And by the way, Bathsheba was one of Jesus' ancestors. Isn't that amazing? You know Proverbs 31, the wonderful proverb about the, the woman of great value and worth more than rubies? Bathsheba wrote that. God can restore anything. God can pour grace. God said to David, you will always have a king on the throne, the eternal throne, not just an earthly throne. You will be special. It'll be your son who is the Messiah. And you will have a special place forever. Even though he sinned so badly because his heart came back to God. God says, I will fix it. But there were consequences. David's son, who, who was conceived when he slept with Bathsheba, died. David's own sons, the other sons, rebelled against him. His wives were slept with in the open. Just kind of such embarrassment for him. There was a sword and violence in his house for the rest of his life and thereafter. His kingdom was in turmoil and disarray. There were consequences, not because God was punishing him, but God says, we heard, a, we heard an illustration yesterday. When God says there's a consequence, he's not saying, I'm going to get you. He's saying, it's like when he says there is gravity. Gravity exists. It's a law in the universe. So please don't jump off high things because you will get hurt. God's not saying, if you jump off something high, I'm going to get you. He's saying there is a principle in place in the universe. God says, if you sin, there are consequences. It's not me getting you. Just be careful. Don't do this. And so there were consequences to David's sin. But because David repented, Nathan said, you will not die. God has forgiven you. And there is mercy and there's grace. I can turn this for good. I can restore it, even though you've messed up. And um, 
David's repentance. Let me just read you a, a couple of verses about David's repentance. Verse 13 of 2 Samuel 12. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's where Psalm 51 comes in. Just right in there you can insert Psalm 51, which we're going to read in a minute. Then Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. And then verse 16, uh, it says, David pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him. He ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you rose and you ate food? He said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And then Psalm 51 is the record of David's repentance. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. That word iniquity means twistedness. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He understood, understood things from God's perspective, how his heart was no longer close to God. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, twistedness, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. That's the, the herb that they used to paint the blood on the doorposts in Egypt. He was saying, put the blood over me. That's the only way I'm going to be made clean. Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. In other places, he says, when I hid my sin, my bones were sore and broken within me. His, his flesh had been affected because he had kept this sin and this hardness of heart. And again, it's not action, it's a heart issue. But it affected his health. Verse 9. Hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. And then in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. What happened was, David realized, I've, I've made choices. I've chosen other things 
to bring me fulfillment, to bring me joy. And they were the things that God had given me. They were the blessings God had blessed me with. I made them idols more important to me than God. They were treasures that competed for God in my heart. Has God blessed you? Has God given you health, a family, restored things in your life, financial blessing? Has that become an idol that has drawn you away from the Lord? Are you wholehearted? Are you full on for God or are things competing for your, for your affection? And then what happened was because he chose those things, his heart became hard. His heart became calloused and he couldn't feel anymore. And the answer for a calloused heart is to break my heart. Even if I have to do it by a choice of my will, I say, Lord, I understand what I've done. Lord, I'm breaking up my heart now. I'm saying, God, I am wrong. You are right. I'm sorry. I want to get back in relationship with you. I want to be back in a place where I trust you and you alone, where you are the source of everything I need. And I love you and I'm close to you again. And then this twistedness. He says, I, I've, I've been conceived in twisted iniquity. And, and the Bible says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, in Isaiah 53, it says he was crushed for our iniquities. I can come before God and say, God, I'm sorry that I've inherited a twisted heart. I confess it. I take responsibility for it, even though it wasn't me. It was my ancestors and some of it was me. God, I repent of this and I reject it. I tell these evil forces to get out of my life. That's repentance as well. And then the brokenness of heart means I come before God and I say, God, I have nothing. I'm nothing. I can do nothing. I have nothing to offer. God, I'm broken before you. Please, would you put me back together? I want to trust you alone. I want to walk with you alone. And when we put God first, when we put a relationship with God first, when we say, God, you are the source of everything I need. I trust you. I love you. I look to you. I need you. Suddenly a whole lot of things just click, 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 click into place in our lives. Suddenly, everything else comes right. The problem is, in my life, I've had that experience many times, maybe five, ten times, and I always think it was my action that got me back close to God, and so I think I must work at it again the next time. And God says, it's not activity, it's a heart issue. Do you trust me? Do you love me? Are you open to me alone? Do you think that my way is best for you? Or do you think you should maybe have two wives, two girlfriends? Do you think maybe you should stash away a bit of money and not really give your money control to the Lord? Do you think you should do this and this? And, and they're good things, all these other things. Because says you have to choose. Always choose. Come back to me, my way, my way. And reject those other things. And then you will have a life. Isn't that true? For churches, it's true as well. The Lord spoke to me. Uh, we've got a, a field, a farmer's field, quite close to our new house. And it's beautiful. There's a, a view out over the fields all the way down into the sea and St. Helia. And you can see Fort Regent. And I was talking to the Lord. He said to me, for your church, it's fine to have people who come in and out and do all different things and have different ideas and different ministries and all these different things. That's fine. It's about, a bit like Noah's Ark. You bring them all in. But the Lord said to me, your core group, your, your people who lead the church, the pastoral people who lead pastoral things, lead life groups and do all the pastoral, the core group, 
there's got to be a unity. There's got to be a singleness of heart. You can't have a person on your crew of your bus who's also driving another bus. Because what happens when your bus and his bus both have a journey at the same time? And it's not saying people on other buses are wrong. We love them to bits. But God says there must be a unity at the core. One heart, one vision, one purpose. Then there's blessing. And that applies to every area of your life. Your family life. Your everything. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for a spirit of grace and supplication. That's not from us. We don't work it up. We don't make it happen. We don't fabricate it. Lord God, we just come to you today. And we say, Lord, where is my heart? Lord Jesus, where is my heart? Lord, is it close to you? Am I walking with you in the cool of the day like I used to be? Or have I listened to another voice? Have I gone for another source of nourishment? Have I trusted another lie? And now I've divided my affections between you and a tree of good and evil. Lord God, where am I? God, am I trusting you like I used to? Am I trusting you fully? Have I separated from my life those things that will take my affection and my trust away from you? Lord God, please pour back into my heart today a spirit of grace and supplication in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.